with you. Would you turn with me? Ezekiel chapter 14. Read a couple passages of scripture here. And Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 8. In Ezekiel the prophet, he finds uh, several people there in the Bible that are uh, in Israel, the elders of Israel, and what they're doing in the daylight is not matching what they're doing uh, in secret. And there are a lot of secret societies out in our world today. Uh, You have many, like you would have the Freemasons, and there's others, uh, that do many practices in private that are nothing less than idolatry. As we think about this very truth, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 5, and then I'm going to look at our key text here in Ezekiel 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to read this, and then we'll come to our Ezekiel passage. But it says, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, he says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. What have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judge. Therefore put away from your... Among yourselves, that wicked person. He's talking here about an individual that is having sexual relations with his dad's uh, wife and uh, a son of his, obviously his dad, but uh, a very disgusting thing. And he, but God says, he says, listen, if he's, a, if he's an idolater, don't eat. I mean, it's, it's a very clear thing that God is saying here. So in, First Corinthians, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 14, I want to read to you what kind of the context and the idea of what's going on here in Israel. And God sees it. Sometimes we do things, many times we do things in private, and we think that God doesn't see us. But we have to understand that there is a God in heaven who sees us. He loves us. As I was actually thinking about doing another sermon uh, this morning, I was thinking about doing it on shame uh, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they had complete access. I mean, there was no conflict. Uh, they were, it says they were naked, and, and, and they, they enjoyed the company, the fellowship of one another and with God. Sin enters, shame comes, regret, and everything else happens. And the fact is, anytime sin happens, there's always, uh, come down the road, there will be shame for your actions. Someday you will regret it. Here in Ezekiel 14, verse 1, if you'd follow along, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Ezekiel 14. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faiths. Should I be inquired of it at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, 
And turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me and setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. As we think upon this very truth of idolatry, a little illustration for you. James Marshall left his family's home in New Jersey as a young man, and like so many others, he began a migration west. After contracting malaria while living in Missouri, he was advised to go further west. And in the year 1845, he arrived in California. He worked a number of different jobs and served in the army during the Mexican-American War of 1846. When he got out, a man he had earlier befriended, John Souter, entered a partnership agreement with Marshall to build a sawmill. When they discovered that the spillway they had constructed was too narrow to handle the amount of water needed to operate the mill, they began the process of enlarging it. On the morning of January 24, 1848, as Marshall examined the channel, channel, he found large flakes of pure gold, sparking one of the greatest gold, wush, gold rushes in history. But Marshall did not profit from his discovery. The mill project failed. His mines did not produce. A vineyard he bought went bankrupt. In his old age, reduced to abject poverty, Marshall died alone in a small shack. Wealth is easy for us to trust. If God blesses us and we begin to accumulate financial resources, we must be on guard against them becoming an idol in our heart. Paul instructed his protege, Timothy, to issue a warning to the rich members in his church, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As you think upon this, God has a lot to say about idolatry. God mentions a person there in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, about a man who is an idolater and he's not to be fellowshiped with. The Bible says such a person is not to be a part of the church. Now, there are many churches where there are faithful, in quotes, churches, uh, Christians who are idolaters. The issue today uh, is in Christians think that they do not have a typical graven image. You know, we don't have graven images and statues in our house, which we venerate as, as would some religions. But the goal of this is to look and see what does God say about idolatry and to allow God to change our thinking on idolatry to relieve, to reveal those areas in our life which are not in conformity to his will. Looking at our lives as a vehicle to serve the Lord through the local church rather than looking to God and church as an accessory to our lives. Church, may we press forward for the Lord looking at our lives to see if there's anything that God convicts us of being an idol. As Paul would so eloquently state in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I, and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal and our mission is to love God with all of our heart to love our neighbor as ourselves. But until I truly love God, 
I will not have a heart for my neighbor. The principle this morning is love the Lord and not our idols. Let's, we're going to look at what is an idol as we move forward. Let's say a quick word of prayer, uh, and then we'll commence our study. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for this great morning. We're a little bit chilly, but it's beautiful as the frost is there on the trees. God, you've given us great beauty to, uh, to uh, behold. And Father, lest we worship creation, Father, may we worship the creator of all creations. Father, declare in our hearts if there be any idols. And Lord, may we remove them as your spirit leads us. Lord Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for being my Savior. God, be with the many who are out traveling and away. And Father, I just ask, we commit today to you. God, you do a work that only you can give. I love you. Thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. What is idolatry? Webster's 1828 Dictionary tells us it's an excessive attachment or veneration for anything or that which borders on adoration. In the Old Testament, from the uh, Illustrated Standard Bible Encyclopedia, it says idolatry originally meant the worship of idols or the worship of false gods by means of idols but came to mean among the Old Testament Hebrews any worship of false gods, whether by images or otherwise, and finally the worship of Jehovah through visible symbols. You would find a lot of idolatry within the Roman Catholic system. There's lots of saints and statues in their, very, uh, in their, uh, in their churches, their buildings. In Hosea chapter 8, as Hosea uh, Hosea was commanded to marry a woman who was a prostitute, much like Israel was a spiritual prostitute of the Lord, com- continually committing adultery with uh, her suitors uh, and failing to put their faith in God. Hosea chapter 8, uh, verses 5 and 6, Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also, the workmen made it, therefore it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. And then chapter 10 of Hosea, verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of beth For the people thereof shall mourn over it and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it for the glory thereof because it is departed from it. God's glory had departed from Samaria. Hosea uh, there is ministering there in the northern tribe. And here is Israel. You remember when Solomon, you have David. After David, it was Solomon. After Solomon was Rehoboam. Rehoboam continued the harshness of his father. And so the people said, I'm out of here. Ten tribes, they leave, Israel, they leave uh, Judah and Benjamin. Ten tribes go, and they go to be with Jeroboam. Jeroboam sets up idols. And Hosea is saying, listen, you guys and your idols, you create, you fashion your own idols. You don't fashion me, right? God is saying this. He says, listen, my glory is departed from you. When we get to the New Testament and the idea of idolatry, it it comes to mean in the New Testament not only the giving to any creature or human creation, the honor or devotion which belongs to God alone, but the giving to any human desire a precedence over God's will. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from 
idolatry. We live in a day and age of gross idolatry. We can sensationalize it, we can spiritualize it however we desire. But the fact remains, it would be like a husband and a wife or in a relationship uh, where the, one of the spouses says, this weekend and every waking moment, I'm going to go hang out with the girls or I'm going to go hang out with the guys and I'm going to do this and this and never spending any time with your spouse. And God is saying, flee from this. I want your heart. Galatians 5.20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Colossians 3, 5 and 6, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We're coming into a Christmas season where many times we're thinking, man, I'd really like to have what so-and-so has. And God is saying that coveting, uh, you said, man, I would be fulfilled if I had that object. God's saying that's idolatry. He would even go on in 1 Peter 4, verse 3, and call it abominable idolatries. 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols, amen. God hates idolatry. Idolatry is the very thing. There in Genesis chapter 3, ye shall be as gods as Satan. What is he saying? He is saying to Adam and Eve, you can have your idols, you can have all the intelligence, and you can still have God. We'll be on even planes. God says, I don't want to be on even plane with anything else. Now, if you're still there in Ezekiel, would you look with me at Ezekiel 23, Ezekiel 23, verse 29. <coughs> As we think upon these very things, Ezekiel 23, 29, it says, and they, he's talking, there is a, judgment of the Babylonians and others coming upon this land of Israel. And God's going to bring great destruction. He's going to allow it. If you read verse 25, let's look at verse 25. And I will set my jealousy against thee, and they shall deal furiously with thee. They shall take away thy nose and thine ears and thy remnant shall fall by the sword, they shall take thy sons and thy daughters, and thy residue shall be devoured by the fire. God is saying, listen, I'm not going to protect you. Your sons and your daughters, your children will be taken. You're in idolatry. Verse 29. And they shall deal with thee hatefully, and shall take, he's talking about the enemies that are coming upon the land. And shall take away all thy labor, and shall leave thee naked and bare, and the nakedness of thy whoredom shall be discovered, both thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. I will do these things unto thee, because thou hast gone a whoring after the heathen, because thou art polluted with their idols. Thou hast walked in the way of thy sister, therefore will I give her cup into thine hand. 
Thus saith the Lord God, Thou shalt drink of thy sister's cup deep and large. Thou shalt be laughed to scorn and had in derision. It containeth much. God's wrath is coming down. Here is Judah. God saying, listen, you've seen what's happened already there in the northern tribes. It's coming on you as well. Now, we have to know this. Look with me at chapter 37 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. Knowing that God's redemption is at hand. It's, it is there. It is awaiting them. Ezekiel 37 verse 22. But before I, while you're turning there, just think about this. God is saying, listen, you have gone a whoring. That word whoring there is you have given yourselves over to the time and the pleasures of that which is stands in opposition of me. He says, you're not spending time with me. You're not giving your heart to me. It's much one way of kind of like a spouse is living in the same house. They're cohabitating that house, but there's not a deep abiding relationship there. God's saying, I don't like that. He says, if I'm here, you're in the land that I've given you. I delivered you from Egypt. I want your heart. Ezekiel 37, verse 22. And I will make them one nation, the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two nations any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. Listen to this. Cleansing from idolatry, it comes from God. God is the one that redeems me. And the very foundation of uh, idolatry, I want to look here at Psalm 115 as you think on this. So there is cleansing from idolatry. If you've gone or if I've gone, and you know there's things that God even wor working on my heart this week about certain things that of, you know, we can get so consumed with social media and our phones and other things that we're neglecting the things of God that we should be doing. You know, and God's saying, I want your time, I want your heart, I, you know, and, and there's many, 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 many different distractions. But the foundation of idolatry here in Psalm 115, if you'd like to turn there, uh, Psalm 115, verse 1, give you a moment to get there, Psalm 115, but idols, we understand, are the work of men's hands. What are some of the idols that we would encounter today? Why is it that someone, if, if an animal was killed, for instance, a pet, someone treats a pet, and no one should treat their pets bad, but if someone were to kill a pet, it would be posted all over social media, some would even go so far to say that person should be killed because they killed an animal. Some would say the very act of hunting, that, you know, that those hunters, I like meat and I think hunting's a great pastime. There are certain resources in, in, in doing that to protect the wildlife, but at the same time, God's given us the animals for meat, as he told to Noah. But people can go so far, you've killed an animal, you ought to kill a human. But yet they have no qualms about killing a baby in the womb. We have these endangered animals, and, and, and they need to be protected. We want them to succeed in the next other generations. But we can put animals as idols. 
In Psalm 115, verse 1, the foundation of idolatry says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy true sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. God said in Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. We either like our Father of heaven, or we are like the idolatrous habit we're addicted to. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, the principle of 1 Corinthians 15.49, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We are to bear the image of Christ. And one of the focuses of idolatry is 1 Samuel 15.23. says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is a focus on me. What makes me happy? What is it that is for me? And and it really is a rejection of God's word. It tells us stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness. You know you ought to be doing something for God, but you're stubborn. There's something in your way. You said, no, I just don't see that faith step, so I'm not going to do it. If we were to look at Ezekiel, excuse me, Isaiah 2, it says, there, verses 8 and 9, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made, and the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself, therefore forgive them not. Now, thinking about this, worshiping the work which your own hands have made. This, could, <coughs> this doesn't need to be some fashioned idol. The worshiping of the work of your own hands can very well be the time I'm putting into the hobbies of life. If our hobbies of life take precedence or take greater importance than spending time with God, then the hobby is my idol of life. When your hobbies, your career, and our leisurely activities take importance over seeking God's will and serving God through the church, the local church, there is idolatry present in our life. Now, the true test of idolatry is what do you spend your time on? It is the adoration of our own work or labors which constitutes idolatry. Now, I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, there in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 7, verse 40. Acts chapter 7, verse 40. 
Now, there is a cause for rejoicing. In regards to the idols, Acts chapter 7, verse 40 and 41. Saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, so Israel... There they are. They're down at the Mount of Mount Sinai. Moses is up. He's up the top. He's getting the Ten Commandments for God. It said, For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not, means we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Skilled craftsmen. But men that have given their time, and they would go on to say, if you were to look at Exodus, they would take that idol and say, these are the gods that got us out of Egypt. These are the gods that when hard times come, these are the things that make me happy. That is the real test. I mean, when they're, they're there in the wilderness, Moses is on the mountain, they don't have direct leadership. They say to Aaron, make us a god, make us a golden calf, and they do it. Then they rose up to eat, to drink, and to play. People want something other than God to dictate how we use our time and our talents. Some, as you think about this, what is the, the root of idolatry? Going back to our our uh, opening passage of Scripture in Ezekiel 14, but in verse 2 it talks about men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. The thing is, is it's telling us, the Bible is, the root of idolatry is what it is it that's before my face. Idolatry begins in the heart. And it would say, idols in his heart and put it the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. They are, and then it goes on, verse 5, they're all estranged from me through their idols. Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. So it begins in the heart, but you continue to put it before your face. It's, it's, in, it's impacting the senses of your body. It's seen, idolatry is seen in an estrangement from God. There's something else that has a focus of my life. Recognize where the transgression occurs. It's before your face. You find that in Ezekiel 14, verses 4, 6, and 7. God is saying, listen, it's before your face. What I give my time and my finances to can very easily be, be an idol. You know, a person who's an idolater is an addict, right? There are many addicts. And and it's not just, uh, many times you would say addict, and you think somehow some intoxicating substance uh, of some sort. That's what we think of when we think of addicts. But the fact remains, you can be a workaholic, uh, you can be all sorts of things, but but in that work, this is my identity, and, and doing this, or this, or whatever it is. We become addicted to that particular thing. When a Christian, when we don't spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, meditating on His Word, we become idolaters, estranged from God, with our heart set upon something else. If we can go days, really if we can go more than a day without spending time in God's Word, we're saying, God, I'm okay for today, I don't need you. It is a demonstration that I have within me the strength for the day to somehow carry on the light of God without being plugged into the light of God. 
Some parents would go so far in their hobbies or personal interests or career, and they put more importance on the child's uh, development in particular hobbies than they do about their spiritual development. Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The child needs to know. You know, each and every one of our homes, irrespective of whether children are there or not, need to let our homes be consumed with honoring the Lord in all that we do. Estrangement, estrangement, verse 5 of Ezekiel 14, they are all estranged from me. What is estrangement? It is merely turning your attention from the Lord. You know, sometimes as I'm talking, my wife will be talking to me and I'm, I'm distracted. Or sometimes uh, she might be talking and I walk away. You know, there's an estrangement there in the relationship. Because I'm not giving her the attention that she's wanting at that time. And God desires, he says he wants, verse 6 of Ezekiel 14, Thus saith the Lord God, repent. What is the egregiousness of idolatry? Look with me at Exodus 32, verse 4. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 32, verse 4. I'd like you to turn with me here. I want to show you an important passage of Scripture here. Uh, when God's speaking uh, to the heinousness and the disgust of idolatry. Exodus 32, verse 4. Verse 3, let's look at this, Exodus 32, 3. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. So here's the, at Mount Sinai. <clears throat> Verse 4, and he, Aaron, received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. You know what, this, as we were talking about last week on trust, and it is in those hard times of life when the pressure is on, what do you turn to? What is it that you can find some sort of relief from the pain of life that you're going through? What is it that you turn to? When an unexpected bill, when something else comes, when, you know, uh, things at work or things at church or things in your family or other things happen, we turn to something or someone. But oftentimes, and I would say most of the time, and as I think about even on myself, most of the time I'm thinking, how am I going to solve this problem? 
And I try to do it in my own strength. These, he's saying that all the pressure that you had in Egypt, it was these gods that helped you. It is an affront to God. It is a stumbling block. When I can take the pressures of life, I'm, instead of putting trust in God, I put my trust in something else. Because if you're not trusting God, you are trusting something else by uh, you know, a process of elimination. We can supplement television, movies, internet, social media, media, music, hunting, fishing, outdoor activities, physical fitness, and other activities as a means of finding rest. To desire these activities over doing God's will, it is showing in my life that there is some idol there. Now, what is the application to many Christians? If you're there... If you want to turn uh, to Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16, <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6, uh, thinking on this very fact of, uh, of idolatry, and uh, as we come to Christmas, a time of great materialism, it is wonderful to give gifts, and uh, as we think on this very idea of giving gifts, we do it out of love. Sometimes you do it because you feel like, well, they're giving me a gift, so I've got to give them a gift. Right? I feel this idea of obligation. As we do this, though, in this whole process of materialism, we are abandoning what God has done for us. Ezekiel 16, verse 6. It says, <clears throat> When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live, yea. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a, cov- a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Here's a picture of a newborn child as it's born, naked and unwashed. God commands the child to live. He goes through the process of raising this child to become mighty and strong and mature. God raised the child, nurtures it, adores this child. God made Israel his own. He delivered them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, through the wilderness, provided for them daily manna and quail. And God has allowed us to live in a land of abundant resources and plush comforts of life. We are here in Canada. But we can easily take these freedoms and indulge ourselves a little uh, thing here by Global News, and now this comes from 2019. It says, more than half of Canadians are living within $200 per month of not being able to pay all their bills or meet their debt obligations, according to a recent Ipsos survey conducted on behalf of accounting firm MNP. It would go on to talk about this, but the idea is, many times we purchase things we don't need at that time, and it puts us into debt. Now, and this idea of purchasing above and beyond what we need. Now, there are things, 
we need and there are things we really want, okay? So there needs to be some differentiation. But we put ourselves in this idea, oftentimes, of debt, and that debt begins to become our master because I'm now having to do things to continue to pay that debt, whereas if I didn't spend it in the first place, you know what, sometimes there, we can have a little bit of inconvenience, but, and then, and time, purchase these things. We can make things quickly our idols. Let's look at Ezekiel 16, if you're still there. Uh, verse 15. It says, But thou didst trust in thine own beauty, and playest the harlot because of thy renown, and pourest out thy fornications on every one that passed by. His it was. And of thy garments thou didst take, and deckest thy high places with diverse colors, and playest the harlot thereupon. The like thing shall not come, neither shall it be so. Thou hast also taken thy fair jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I have given thee, and madest to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredom with them. They're taking the very treasures from God's house, the temple, and making idols of them. Verse 18, And tookest thy broidered garments, and coveredst them, and thou hast set mine oil and mine incense before them. My meat also which I gave thee, fine flour and oil and honey, wherewith I fed thee, Thou hast even set it before them for a sweet savor, and thus it was, saith the Lord God. And then verse 28. You know what, in all of our many hours of work and things that we do in life, there's an ever-elusive desire for peace, right? Verse 28. Thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, because thou wast unsatiable. You could not be satisfied. That word insatiable, you're not able to be satisfied. Yea, thou hast played the harlot with them, and yet couldst not be satisfied. Verse 29. Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication, the land of Canaan, unto Chaldea, and yet thou wast not satisfied here. What's God saying? God says your, your idols will never satisfy you. They'll never produce contentment. You know if someone wins, a, you know there was just that Powerball lottery, and I guess People, uh, individuals in Canada could have purchased it or whatever. It was $2.08 billion. And I think half of that or whatever, some large percentage goes back to the government. But in this, you know, someone wins this. Are they going to be eternally happy? No, they're going to be excited when they win, but they're not going to be happy when every family member from every corner of the world hears, hey, you want all this money. I have this need. You have lots of money. I don't. You give me some money. You know, you're going to have people all, you got all the money. Hey, let's do this. You're going to find people that want you for your money that don't want you for who you are. And the idol, it's, yes, it might have an instantaneous joy, but all, you know what, oftentimes those who win the lottery, over 80% of them, as I've seen statistics, within five years are worse off than they were prior to winning those winnings. Because in idolatry, you have to continue to indulge yourself to find a resemblance of peace. If this is your predicament, then what we're finding is we have idolatry in our lives. God tells us we are to get rid of these idolatrous practices. Now, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 5.13, But them that are without God judges, therefore put away from yourselves that wicked person. He's saying to that man in the church of Corinth, listen, put that man out of the membership. He's committing fornication, but God is also saying idolaters. 
it's easy to make something more important than God in our lives. Church begins to say, well, it's, it's just not as important anymore. I, I don't need to go all. I, I can just do a little here and a little there, whatever fits me. What does God say? We need to be willing to call an idol what God calls it, confess it, and ask God to change our lives and our thinking. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. There in the New Testament, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Idolatry really is one of those things that sneaks up on us so, so quickly. Something good. It's, they're not bad. Something good begins to take the place of that which is best, that is God. And inherently by itself, it's not necessarily bad. You know, sports, hockey, soccer, baseball, whatever it is, they're not intrinsically bad. There are positive things you learn about them. But why is it that an individual, some, some individuals, they can, I mean, they, they're, they're willing to travel, they're willing to do all sorts of things, missing church for the sport... But maybe if there's a week-long meeting, a week-long thing of meetings at a church, well, I can't do that. That's just too much. But if there was a week-long camp, they can easily partake in that sports camp. The Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. He's saying, listen, here's the former conversation. The former conversation is you prior to coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it tells us that lifestyle which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It's deceitful. Now Adam and Eve, they partook of that fruit. They thought enlightenment. They thought all of this stuff. But what did it bring? It brought shame. You know what? If you give your life to Christ, you serve Him. It doesn't produce shame. It produces joy. Idolatry brings shame. God would often talk about the nakedness and other things in regards to the whoredoms of Israel. It would bring shame, regret. There is not a time in our lives where if we begin to say, God, I'm all in for you, that it's going to bring shame. Going on with this verse, they're deceitful. Adam and Eve were deceived. It says, but verse 23 of Ephesians 4, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is where the battlefield lies. It's in our mind, day in and day out. How do I deal with the stresses of life? And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is why a daily time in God's word, it renews my mind. Because there's so many things that are pushing for me to get back into idolatry. Satan doesn't hate religion. Satan doesn't hate formalism. He hates a love of God. All he's desiring you to do is become estranged from God. Just spend a little bit less time with God. And it involves that you put on the new man, which after God's created righteousness, true holiness. You see, when we're freed of the yoke of idolatry, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. One of the amazing things that happens when I begin to let loose of idolatry in my life, I'm not having shame. I have liberty. Liberty is what we're seeking for. Idolatry produces a lot of burdens. If you were, in a, you know, in a, if their person was in a particular religion where they were trying to do enough to appease some god or gods, there, there's a bur- that's burdensome. That's heavy. Because you're trying to do enough good works that hopefully this divine deity with which you're falsely worshiping will give you the, uh, the attention that will reduce whatever pressure is on your life. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But verse 17 Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know what? If I'm not in idolatry, I can have liberty, freedom in my mind. It is a yoke that idolatry brings. The Bible tells us in our last passage of Scripture, if you'd like to turn with me there to Proverbs chapter 3, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, the last passage of Scripture this morning before I bring this to the conclusion. This, uh, recently, I was at a Remembrance Day ceremony, and uh, there was a, a practice going on of burning some incense. It stunk so bad. Oh, my nose was just burning. And uh, in this practice, it just felt very spiritually oppressive. It was a smudging ceremony that was going on and as they were there and I, and I was to get up and later on and, and give out. As I gave a short message, I prayed and gave some scriptures. It was so heavy, oppressive. I said, God, I need some rest. I need some peace. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not on thine own understanding. Now, this trusting here, again, idolatry... When you think about this, there are things that we do that we believe this is going to make me happy. God tells us how to have liberty. He tells us how to have peace. This trusting in God with all your heart, this isn't just in the good times. This is at all times. This is not leaning to my own understanding, just, you know, well, here's a problem. I need to fix it. What does God think? What does God, how does God want to solve this problem? It says in verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know what? Israel would have gotten through the wilderness not in 40 years, but probably, let's say, 40 years, four months. They could have come into the promised land. 
It was their own thinking. When those spies went in, the spies came out. They trusted their own thinking. Those giants are too big for us. Those giants are, I mean, that, that place is too defended. There's no way we can do that. Where is God in that thinking? You see, it is our own thinking, our own idolatrous thinking of a trusting in ourselves or something else that fails to let God lead our paths. And we are forfeiting the promises of God when we go down those paths. Idolatry, however you call it, you can't blend idolatry with Christianity and have something that pleases God. God would tell Ezekiel, my glory is departed. There's a lot of people trying to mix spiritism in with Christianity and it doesn't blend. You can't have the, the cup of devils and the cup of Christ coming together. You can't do that. We've got to trust what God says. Idolatry is trusting in what I think. We must loose ourselves from the world's entanglement, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. My friend, do you know the righteousness or the purity or sacredness of God? Have you ever been purified of your wicked deeds? I mean, those things that are causing a shame and guilt upon your conscience. We oftentimes, we've done something in the past, we regret our actions, and we begin to beat ourselves up. Oh, how was I so dumb? Why did I do this? All these things go through our minds. You know what? The Bible says, listen, you bring that burden to the cross, you ask God to forgive you, He says, I don't remember it anymore. Idolatry says you need to do some more good things to put off the bad things. God says, listen, I've already paid it all. Idolatry keeps you under the burdens. Sure, it might produce some short joy. You know what God's saying? He says, lay your heart out before me. There in Ezekiel, he says, listen, stop trying to do it. I've peeked through the hole. I've seen what these, old, these elderly men are doing. He says, they're not doing right back there. They're partaking in idolatry. The Bible tells us, abandon idolatry and just trust Him. To bring us to the conclusion this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, Number one question, do you know Jesus Christ? If you're watching, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is there ever a time you've put your faith and trust in Him alone? And second of all, if you are a Christian, what is it that you turn to when life gets difficult? Is it to prayer and asking God for help and wisdom? Or is it to something else? And I'd have to say, even in my own life, that's a good question to ask because oftentimes there are things that I allow to distract me in an effort for peace that really is an idol. I've got to ask God to forgive me and get right. When you're done praying, look back up and we'll conclude in prayer. But just a challenge. You'd say, Pastor, you'd say to God, Lord, forgive me for the idols of my heart. It is the hard times that challenge us where do we turn when life gets difficult. If those things are not acknowledging God, then there's an idol in our heart.